Hmm. And good morning to you. Thank you. Yes, nice to see you. And Gordon, yes, nice to see everybody. It's good. It's good. Pardon? Yes, it is. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 139. And I'll be reading that from the New Living Translation. I just finished this up last night, and I think it was quarter to 11. It's been a hectic couple of weeks, very busy, and trying to work on it all in between, and then I, I can't make up my writing, so I typed it up, and here we go. In this psalm, David provides one of the clearest teachings in the scripture on the omniscience and omnipresence of God. Omniscience is the reality that God knows all things, and omnipresence speaks of the fact that God is always present everywhere. And in this psalm, <clears throat> excuse me, David describes the full knowledge and presence of God. And at the heart of the psalm is how David responds to these truths about God. And as we see God for who he is, it should impact the way we think and live. It should change the way we handle temptation and deal with loss. It should guard us from worry, keep us from fear, and motivate our obedience to God. So let's begin by hearing verses 1 through 24, and like I said, it's the New Living Translation. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. <clears throat> you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. 
How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. O God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is the word of the Lord. David begins the psalm in verses 1 through 6 by saying that God has examined his heart and known him. In other words, nothing about us is hidden from God's sight. He has thoroughly explored us and truly knows us. He knows everything we do. Not even the smallest things escape God's notice. God knows our motives. He knows our fears, our frustrations, our irritations, and our hopes and dreams, our vulnerabilities, and our strengths. God knows what we're going to say even before we say it and what we're going to do before we do it. God can see and know us anywhere we might be. God knows all about you. God knows all about me. God knows about everyone who has ever lived. And God knows about everyone who is living now. And God knows about everyone who will ever live. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. And the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23 verses 23 and 24, Am I a God who is only close at hand, says the Lord? No, I am far away at the same time. Can anyone hide me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord? So as we consider these things, we will begin to feel like David felt. In verse 5, God has gotten his hands on David, as it were, and he's recognizing his absolute vulnerability before the Lord, who sees and knows all things. In verse 6, he confesses that the thought of it is overwhelming to him. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And Paul confesses something like this in Romans eleven thirty-three: Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for me to understand his decisions and his ways. And we too should feel overwhelmed by God. It is good to stand in awe of him 
And it is good to know and to confess that God is beyond us. And it's also comforting to know that God sees all things and knows all things. There is no room for him to grow in knowledge, meaning that God's wisdom is perfect. His plans are perfect and his judgments are perfect. It's because we are sinful that God's omniscience is not only a comfort to us, but it is also troubling. It makes us feel vulnerable and exposed before him. It makes us feel like running away. And this is what Adam and Eve did after they rebelled against God. They heard God coming and they ran away. They tried to hide from God and to cover their shame, but they could not. In verses 7 to 12, we learn that David felt the same impulse. After considering that God sees all, <clears throat> he considered running away, but thought better of it knowing that God is present everywhere. In verse 7, he speaks to God and he says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. <clears throat> David is saying here, Lord, when I consider that you see all, even my innermost being, I want to run. But that would be pointless. Where would I go? He says in verse 8, If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, that is Hades or hell, you are there. There is nowhere that God is not. <clears throat> The difference between heaven and hell is not God's presence, but the way that God is present. In heaven, God is present to eternally bless his redeemed. In hell, God is eternally present to pour out his wrath. And those in hell will be tormented not by the absence of God, but by his presence. We have all heard it said that God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. But God is present everywhere in this world, right? And yet this world is filled with sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, God approached them in the garden. And so it would be more accurate to say that God must and will punish all sin, for he is just. He has either punished our sin by setting it on Christ as our substitute, or he will punish it at the final judgment and in hell. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says that one day we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. <clears throat> but here is the point of this psalm. When David considered that God sees all, he was tempted to run, but he immediately recognized the futility of that approach, for no one can escape the presence of God. He is present in heaven, and he is present in hell. So in verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> David considers another place. He said, if I ride the wings of the morning, 
If I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. David is still looking for some place to run. But he confesses that there is nowhere in all of creation where he can escape the presence of God. And this is good news. God is present everywhere and actively leading, guiding, and protecting. In verses 11 and 12, David considers another hiding place. He said, if I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. In other words, David is saying that with God, there is no darkness. There is no hiding in darkness. It makes no difference to God. He can see just as well at night as he can during the day. Not only is God present in every location, he's present and able to see in every condition. David knew seasons of darkness, but he's sure that even in our times of darkness, God can see clearly. Now David realizes that God and his omnipresence will pursue him no matter where he goes. God loves us with a pursuing love. Jesus didn't come to be pursued. He came to pursue us and return us back to God. He said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God pursued us right to the cross. And here's where we find, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Here's where we find God's very personal, very intense, loving care for us. Each person is precious to God. In verses 13 to 18, <clears throat> frog in my throat, excuse me, I'll just do this. <clears throat> Satan's always there to try to, every Sunday morning is the same. All week long, it's fine. <clears throat> Sunday morning, he puts that little, crook in there. <laughs> so just bear with me. I'll just repeat this. In verses 13 through 18, David goes even deeper in his contemplation of God's omnipresence. God is present actively as creator and sustainer of all life. Paul says in Romans 11 verse 36, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. We read in verses 13 to 15, You made all the inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. When David says in verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, this refers to the invisible aspects of a person, the soul, the mind, and the heart, 
the personality? Have you ever asked the questions, where did my body come from? Where did my soul come from? The answer is, they came from God. He formed your inner parts. You and I had a beginning. There was a time when we were not. God is the source of both. When David says, you knit me together in my mother's womb, he refers to the development of the human body, which does contain the soul. And the New King James puts it this way, for you formed thy innerward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. <clears throat> and verse 15 in the NIV restates the same idea, but in a different way. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. The depths of the earth is a poetic way of speaking of the darkness and secrecy of the womb. So, you and I are not an accident. God was intricately, intimately involved in knitting you and I together in the womb. God was knitting an eternal soul, a person made in his image, and each life is precious to God. From those earliest moments of conception, God is doing his work, fashioning a unique and eternal human being, a person God knows and God loves. In verse 14, we see that David's response to these truths is to praise God. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, God. How well I know it. In verse 16, we learn that God is not only the source of our body and soul, he is also the source of the days of our life. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Using vivid language, Joe, David shows us how intimately God knows us even in the womb. Even before a woman knows that she is pregnant, God has seen this new life and knows all of his or her days. God has a book. Now this is not to be taken literally, but metaphorically. And what does this metaphorical language teach us about God? It teaches us that the days of our lives are determined by God. He is the source of them. He wrote his book concerning the days of our life before a single day had passed. Now notice David's response to this is not to complain against God, but to marvel at God's wisdom and his grace. Verses 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. 
Well, with an exclamation mark. Each grain of sand represents one of God's thoughts concerning each one of us. Ever been on the seashore? All the sand? Every grain of sand. In the, oh, blows your mind. That means that God is thinking of us, of each of us, continually. And he sustains us in this. He is with us, and we are with him. Day after day, we awake, and God is there with us. He will be with us and sustain us for all eternity. So the question that remains is, what shall we do? <clears throat> Since the Lord sees our sinful words and deeds, even the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts, and since we cannot flee from his presence, what then shall we do? Well, verses 19 to 24 show us the way. Verses 19 to 22, David expresses his hatred for all that is evil. O oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you, God. Your enemies misuse your name. O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Now these words <clears throat> can trouble Christians who have been brought up and taught, who have been taught by Christ to love their enemies. But there is no reason to be troubled by what is said here. To hate the wicked and to love your enemies are not contradictory things. It is possible to, on the one hand, hate the wicked and their works, and on the other hand, to pray for their repentance and to show them kindness and love. It is possible for us to do two things, these two things, at the same time. David's hatred for his enemies <clears throat> came from his zeal for God. David regarded his enemies as God's enemies, and so his hatred was desire for God's righteous justice and not for personal revenge. So, is it all right to be angry at people who hate God? Yes, but we must remember <clears throat> that it is God who will deal with them, not us. If we truly love God, then we will be deeply hurt if someone hates him. But while we seek justice against evil, we must also pray that God's enemies will turn to him before he judges them. Matthew 5, verse 44 says, Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In verses 23 and 24, we see David's request regarding his heart. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 
The two phrases, search me and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts, are slightly different ways of saying the same thing. They are parallel to each other. David wants God to look inside him, his inner person, so that God knows what is in his heart. Lead me. David wants God to know him and point out anything in him that offends God so that it can be dealt with. And this is how God leads him. And the phrase along the path of everlasting life can also be translated along the ancient way. In either case, the meaning is the same. We are talking here about the way of God or the way of righteousness. So David's request is that God help him to walk in the ways of God. So I'm going to end reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 14 to 21, that demonstrates how we are to live our lives as followers of Jesus. And this is our prayer for us today. And that's the New Living Translation as well. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, your generosity will surprise them. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. And so may the Lord bless and protect each one of us this coming week. And may the Lord smile on each of us and be gracious to each of us. And may the Lord show his faith, us, all of us, his favor and his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening and nobody left. That's, that's a good thing. You're, you're a strong audience. <laughs>